Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful and living life full and filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just can't thank you enough for joining and listening in. And uh, welcome back to Crossing the Jordan. So this episode is an Always More Wednesday episode. And I would love to do more of these to continue talking about topics that we may have already covered or new insights or things that are just a little bit more free for these episodes. So these Always More Wednesday episodes and the main series, the plan going forward from here, which I think is a a good cadence, good frequency, kind of aligns a little bit more with my schedule and also just the frequency of episodes, I think is going to be nice. So I'm going to try to shoot going forward every week and a half. So there will always be like today is a Wednesday. In a week and a half from now, we'll do a main series on Saturday. And then a week and a half from that, we'll do an Always More Wednesday after that. And then just continue on with that frequency of an episode every week and a half. So today, on this Always More Wednesday, we're going to talk about two teachings of Jesus that disciples 2,000 years ago, with him, with God in the flesh, with Jesus Christ, looking face to face with his teachings, where people, his own disciples, leave, left him on or didn't understand or at least rebuked him and didn't understand. And those are the same two teachings that are today, 2,000 years later, that people are still leaving the church for or uh, people, his disciples, leaving him. And that is his teaching on suffering and the Eucharist. These are two primary teachings of Jesus that he expects his disciples to be fully in union with, to live a life full of the grace and to be united fully to the divine bridegroom that is Jesus. Jesus Christ and him crucified we suffer with. Jesus Christ in the Eucharist we commune commune with. And that is how we enter into that Paschal mystery of his life, passion, death, and resurrection. And there's also a third one. I talked about two, but there's a third one, and that's marriage. So we're going to talk about these three aspects today of the same teachings of Jesus that were difficult and and he was rejected for by his own disciples 2,000 years ago are the same teachings of Jesus and his church that are difficult and people reject and walk away from Jesus and his church today. And in this episode, it is not an apologetics of why the Eucharist or why suffering, because the Eucharist we've talked about before, we'll talk about it in the future too, but we've talked about it before. Suffering, we're actually going to have an entire episode in the main series upcoming next Saturday that will be dedicated to the topic of suffering. But these are two primary ways, and a third if you count marriage, but suffering in the Eucharist, these are two primary ways that Jesus is teaching is to unite us to Christ, to unite us in love, to be consumed in the life of the Trinity. And we're going to see that in order to accept these teachings of Jesus and to be united to him and to embrace these teachings, these beautiful teachings of Jesus, we need two things. We need the Holy Spirit and we need Peter. So we need the Holy Spirit because it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The flesh being our broken humanity apart from God's grace, apart from divine revelation. The Holy Spirit gives us the grace to see supernaturally, to see into the life of what God has given us. And the second is Peter. We need to stand with Peter and all of his successors, all the popes that Christ gave us in order to stand firm on truth. That is the church, the pillar and bulwark of truth, to stand with Peter. And we're going to see this in beautiful ways, in both uh, here in suffering and in the Eucharist and even in marriage. So 2,000 years ago, when Jesus, the eternal Son of God, took on human flesh, he was walking with his 12 apostles in Caesarea Philippi, and this is recorded in Matthew 16. And this is a place of pagan worship and pagan authority, and they have these big rocks there. And it's in this precise place that Jesus turns to Peter, changes his name from Simon to Peter, calls him Rock. He's going to be the rock that is going to hold fast 
to truth and to right worship of the true God of Jesus, not these pagan false gods, but the true one true God that is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he gives him the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever he binds on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever he looses on earth shall be loose in heaven and the gates of hell shall never prevail against his church. So it's here upon Peter and all of his successors that Christ is building his church. And it's right after this that he gives this incredible blessing, this incredible divine blessing after Peter identifies Jesus for who he is and Jesus tells Peter who he is, that he is not Simon, but he's Peter and he's going to be the first pope. And it's right after this that Jesus begins to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And this is exactly the stumbling block that Peter has. He just told him that he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one who's going to be bringing the kingdom of God. And But this is not how he pictured it. And so him as the first pope, he just gave him authority. He thinks that he needs to correct Jesus, but instead he gets corrected after he goes and rebukes Jesus. He's rebuking God about suffering, about him, like God forbid that this would ever happen to you, Lord. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. And so Peter here is literally called that word for hindrance is stumbling block. So the same one who was just called rock is now called the stumbling block because he's not embracing the crucified Messiah, the crucified King, the crucified God. And so right after this, he can, Jesus continues to tell all of his disciples that if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Jesus here begins his teaching on suffering and he'll continue throughout the rest of his mission to reveal what he's going to do and what he's calling his apostles to do. And he's calling all of us, all disciples, every single person for all time that is following Jesus must embrace this. So we see here for the first time on Jesus's first teaching of suffering, he gets pulled aside by Peter and gets rebuked for it. And Jesus puts Peter back in his place. Peter, you don't know what you're saying. You don't understand yet. And therefore, the next, t- the next few times that Jesus teaches on suffering, his apostles remain quiet. They don't know what to say, so they just don't bring it up at all. In one instance, he literally talks about how the Son of Man must go up to Jerusalem and suffer. And then you have James and John talking about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so, so they're, they don't understand yet that this king is going to be a king reigning from his cross, the crucified one, the crucified Messiah who enters fully into humanity to fully to tear down, to go to war with the enemy and to destroy the strongholds of the devil and to invade the radical enemy that is sin and death that's been reigning for all of humanity. Jesus is going to war straight with that face to face and he's calling all of us to be united with him in that. And so he gets rebuked first, then he gets ignored. And then when it's his time to suffer, where are all of his apostles? They flee, they run away and they deny him. And this is the same thing that happens today with the teaching of suffering. Well, no, God doesn't really want that for you. He wants you to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, successful. And those are all good things in and of themselves. But when those become the goal, those become an idol. And that is not what the gospel of Christ is talking talking to us about. Christ doesn't teach it. St. Paul doesn't teach it. Peter doesn't teach it. John doesn't teach it. The whole New Testament is filled with living a life consumed by Jesus' presence, even to the point of shedding your own blood, of dying, of suffering. 
and St. Peter and St. Paul even talk about rejoicing in our sufferings that we would be united to Christ, that we must share in his sufferings, that we must enter into the kingdom of God through many trials and tribulations. And so we are united to Christ crucified. The next part of Jesus' teachings that are hard to grasp and they get rejected at the beginning is the Eucharist. In John chapter 6, during the time of Passover where Jesus in just a year or two from now would be instituting the Eucharist, he teaches that he is the true bread from heaven, that your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven that is a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, says Jesus, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. And he says that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And again, his disciples are faced with a very hard teaching. And literally it says in in John 6, 60, Many of his disciples, when they heard of it, said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But not backing down, not saying it was a metaphor, but doubling down, Jesus says, after that he hears the disciples murmuring, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, the flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, the divine revelation and life-giving truth, the Eucharist. And Jesus' point is, who's teaching it? The one who descended from heaven and will ascend back to heaven. God himself is giving this revelation. And Jesus continues that he says, But there are some of you that do not believe. And it goes on to say, Jesus knew from the first who those were that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And this is why I told you, Jesus says, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So again, just as Peter how it was not revealed to him by flesh and blood that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was the Heavenly Father, and it was the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing here. It is the Father that grants us this beautiful belief in who Jesus Christ is and what his teachings are, and it is the Spirit that gives life. It's our, it's the Holy Spirit that we need in order to accept divine revelation that Jesus gives. And then it says this in John six sixty six. And after this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. And this is the decisive point. Disciples are leaving. People who believed in him were following him for at least a year, maybe two, at this point. We're leaving Jesus now because of this teaching. And again, he doesn't back down. Instead, he turns to the original twelve. Will you also go away? But who stands up? Simon Peter. Peter stands up and declares the truth. Lord, to whom shall we go? saying, we don't understand, but where else are we going to go for eternal life, for what you promise, for who you are? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so it's here, the decisive points of tough teachings. It's beautifully laid out here. What do we need? We need divine revelation. Jesus came to reveal the Father, the Father's heart for us. So it's the Father that draws us to his Son. And we need the Holy Spirit because our broken humanity, our flesh and blood, will not be understanding these revelations of Jesus. But we need the Holy Spirit to know that divine revelation to, is because it's Jesus' truth that gives life. And we need to stand with Peter. We need the Pope. Not because he stands firm out of his own human weakness, but actually in spite of his human weakness, 
Jesus promises that he will be the one that he builds his church on, that it will never fall into error, that it will never fall into heresy, that it will never fall away from the teachings of Jesus. And so it's here that we stand with Peter that says, even in times I don't understand, but you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are God. And I believe that what you say about suffering, what you say about the Eucharist is true, not because I understand it per se, but because of who you are. I am a little child. I do things because of who you are. I believe things of who you are. You are God. I believe Jesus. And when we go back to the teachings on suffering, it's Peter who first rebukes him. It's Peter who ignores him. It's Peter who falls asleep in the garden with, with Jesus that isn't there, is not watchfully and pray, prayerfully waiting and watching with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. It's Peter who denies Jesus. But afterwards, Jesus restores him with that faith, with that threefold, do you love me, Peter? And it's out of that love and it's by the grace of the Holy Spirit that St. Peter would be the same one who rebuked Jesus about suffering, would be now the one in his letters, particularly 1 Peter, where he's constantly talking about suffering. And he would go on to be crucified upside down for his Lord, his King, his crucified Messiah to be united to him. And this is the life of the saints. This is the life of 2,000 years, being united to Christ and not be afraid of suffering because God's love is greater than suffering. God's love is greater than death. God's love wins. God's love is victorious. God's love through Jesus Christ and him crucified wins and is always victorious, it overcomes. And he wants to do that in you and in me. And in order to do that, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the divine life. And we need to be standing united to Peter and the Pope and the church. We need to be united to Christ, the body that is the church. And so when we are clinging to the church, we are clinging to Jesus because the church being one flesh and one body with Christ is the fullness of him who fills all in all and is in all according to Ephesians, and is the pillar and bulwark of truth. And how do we know that? Because we stand with Peter and the accessor of the apostles. So we cling to the church, we cling to the Holy Spirit, and we consume ourselves with the life of the Eucharist, to be consumed in the life-giving love of Jesus. And we cling to that promise that he says, he who eats this, this Eucharist, whoever drinks this blood in the Eucharist, he will raise on the last day, that he will give eternal life. And so it's in this beautiful teaching of the Eucharist and the beautiful teaching of suffering that Jesus teaches that the church for 2,000 years boldly proclaims with confidence, lovingly, confidently, because it's divine revelation given by the Spirit and Jesus has the words of eternal life. And this is where it is. And this is where so much grace is found. And the third teaching that we'll talk about briefly is marriage. When Jesus is asked, well, who when can someone get a bill of divorce? And there's these two different parties, one saying that you can get a divorce whenever, and this other party saying only when something uh, particular goes wrong. But Jesus negates both of them and says, never. God hates divorce, and it was not so in the beginning. So whatever God has brought together, a man and a woman becoming one flesh together, let no man put asunder, let no man separate, because they become one, just as Jesus is with the church. It's a scandal. And so divorce is not a part of God's plan. And they said, well, then it's probably better to not get married. They literally say that. And it is this teaching that 
that St. Paul draws on in Ephesians 5 and St. Peter talks about in First, in First Peter about this faithful marriage reflecting the very life of Jesus in, in the church that is so beautiful. It's life-giving. It is a sacrament. It communicates grace. God gives us grace to live life of heaven on earth but also to be purified in our hearts so that through this, Jesus would continue to purify us, continue to cleanse us, continue to heal our minds, to continue to renew our minds about his love in our relationships. And so it's marriage here that Jesus and the church for 2,000 years will not back down. It's the beautiful, life-giving grace that is found in marriage. And it can be tough, but we trust Jesus and we need his grace. And so to recap this episode, 2,000 years ago, people physically walked away from Jesus. You could touch Jesus and his humanity, right? He was here on earth 2,000 years ago. And when people had a really tough time with his teachings on the Eucharist and suffering particularly and in marriage, people physically walked away from Jesus. And they probably unknowingly, spiritually walked away from grace. And maybe after that, I bet nearly all of them still claimed to be following God according to what or how they wanted to follow him. Because as soon as that teaching was, it's like, that's probably not from God. And so they, from their own humanity, thinking not as God does, but as men do, they walk away physically from Jesus. They walk away spiritually from grace. And they may even claim to be following God because that's what they think they're doing. And it's the same thing today. People physically walk away from Jesus through his body, the Catholic Church. It's his body. So we're one flesh with Jesus in the Catholic faith. And so people walk away from the church and therefore walk away from Jesus. And unknowingly, they, they walk away from so much grace that God wants to give them and pour out. And maybe even still, they through this walking away from the Catholic faith, they continue to claim to follow Christ the, the way that they want to. And this is the sin that never ends. It's to make ourselves God and make God in our image. But through faith in Jesus Christ and in his Catholic church that he gave us, it's not something that we inherited or found or any human human built up. It's built on divine revelation. It's built on Jesus's promise and his word. And we simply receive it. It's not something that we're above. We receive the word of God in the Catholic faith. We receive it. It's something that we receive, not uh, stumble upon or find ourselves. No, we humble ourselves as Peter did 2,000 years ago when we don't understand, when he didn't understand, we humble ourselves. But Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And we stand with Peter in that instance of faith. And we stand with Peter as the Pope and all of his successors. And we live a life filled with the Holy Spirit that truly gives life. And so the Eucharist, suffering, and marriage are three beautiful teachings of Jesus in the Catholic Church. Don't reject it. If you don't understand it, try to learn more about it. But first and foremost, go back to Jesus and who he is, who the church says he is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are God from God, light from light, true God from true God. You are goodness itself. You love me with an eternal love that I can't even comprehend. And therefore, I trust you no matter what. It all makes sense. But even when it doesn't make sense in a particular situation and we're still trying to struggle through something, stand with Peter humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I want to understand. I want to understand. But regardless, you have the words of eternal life. Holy Spirit, please just enlighten us right now. Fill us like never before right now. Holy Spirit, we need you. We thank you so much for 
you being our advocate, you being the one that only by, only by you, Holy Spirit, that we even know how to pray. So teach us how to pray anew. Holy Spirit, it's only by you that we can say Jesus Christ is Lord. So fill us anew to proclaim, uh, to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you just unite all people to the Catholic faith, to the church that Jesus founded. And Holy Spirit, fill us with great humility and great childlike obedience and faith and trust in Jesus and his church. We love you, Holy Spirit. We need you. It is so good that we need you because we cannot do this on our own. Our flesh and blood is weak, but it's you, Holy Spirit, that gives life. And thank you so much, Jesus, for the gift of the Catholic Church that you founded upon divine revelation and divine promises that is the pillar and the bulwark of truth. We thank you, Lord, that it unashamedly proclaims your love to the world, that your love is greater than anything that we could ever face, and that even in our suffering, we can unite ourselves to you, that it's you, Jesus, that gave us the gift of the Eucharist to commune with you in a greater way than Moses did on, on that mountain one day, that we and all Christians would be united, be taken up into that heavenly temple with you, the heavenly holy of holies. We thank you, Jesus, for the gift of the, the Eucharist. Please, Jesus, increase our love and our fervor and our zeal for you and the Eucharist and to be united to you in our sufferings, to truly help us rejoice in our sufferings for the sake of the church and for our salvation. And I thank you so much, Jesus, for the gift of marriage that beautifully reflects your love, that one flesh union with you and the church. You're so good, Jesus. We love you. Mm-hmm.